we began to develop just an amazing friendship with Lou Engel and the call and uh, really went and some of our introduction was around kind of giving him a word that a very trusted voice in his life who was on our team had felt in prayer for him and that the gist of that word was that the call was giving birth to the send that the call had gone out and a sending movement would result and it would be about stadiums being filled uh, signs and wonders gospel proclamation and it would be the passion, the zeal, the mantle of Billy Graham falling on an entire generation, and it would give birth to ascending movement. So that was seven years ago. Hey, welcome to the Kindling Fire. My name is Troy Mangum. St. Ignatius said, the glory of God is man fully alive. Jesus said, it is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. This podcast is here to bring God glory through you becoming fully alive and you bearing much fruit or having powerful results in your life. I believe you can use your unique gifts and talents to change the world. If you listen to this show and read our blogs, you will be inspired to take your own journey of faith to become a man or woman who is fully alive, making an impact in the world around you. I interview people that I think are awesome that are doing that today to inspire and to challenge you, you can do the same. Let's get rolling. Before we start this podcast, I want to level set uh, the listeners on some of the topics and ministries that we're going to cover because I have the conversation with the assumption that you guys know what we're talking about. Uh, Number one, um, The Call is a ministry that Lou Engel founded many years ago and has been marked through focusing on prayer and fasting and having huge stadium gatherings uh, where there is focus on prayer and fasting. So he had a big event in 2001 at the, um, the mall in Washington where I think 100,000 showed up of young people. He had an event in Titan Stadium in Nashville, Tennessee in 2007. He had an event called Azusa Now in the LA Coliseum uh, where the Olympics were held uh, two years ago. And, And he is known as a man that focuses on prayer and fasting. YWAM. YWAM stands for Youth with the Mission, and this is a worldwide ministry that was started in the 60s by someone named Lorne Cunningham, where he had a vision of sending young people into short-term and long-term missions, and they have uh, well over 200 bases around the world. They are one of the, if not the largest missions organization, uh, evangelical missions organization in the world, and they have a hub base in Kona, Hawaii. Fire and Fragrance is, um, so YWAM uses discipleship training programs, which are six-month programs where you do three months in the class and three months of outreach in a nation, and that is the doorway into all of Youth with a Mission. Andy Bird, who we're going to talk to today, runs and created with some of his friends Fire and Fragrance Discipleship Training School. In addition, with some of his friends, he started something called Circuit Riders, and Circuit Riders are revivalists and young evangelists that are going to college campuses and cities all around the United States and into Europe, where they are preaching the the simple gospel, they are praying for the sick, and they are calling young people to missions. And last year, I think they did over uh, 200 or just at 200 U.S. campuses uh, in the spring and in the fall. All right. 
right, I think that's enough backstory. So let's get rolling. So today on the Kindling Fire, uh, this is a little bit like comedians in cars, if you've seen that show, because I'm in a car and my guest is in a car and the guest that I have on is Andy Bird. Thanks for joining, Andy. Such a joy. So stoked to, to finally make this work. Yeah. So um, you've got some exciting stuff going on. I, I have. Uh, I learned about you through my daughter, who ended up doing a fire and fragrance DTS about uh, about two and a half years ago, and it's been as a, as a listener of of podcast and sermons and and to see what God has done. I mean, it is exciting uh, that the things that you're involved in. So I'm excited to have you on the show. Awesome. Thanks so much. Really am excited to just uh, be together, get to share a little bit. So let's let's start off with something that just got kicked off, I believe, last week. And that is something related to the call, uh, and it's called The Send. Can, can you tell yeah. us a little bit about that? Absolutely. Yeah, I'll uh, kind of give the long story short. But uh, about seven years ago, we began to develop just an amazing friendship with Lou Engel and the call and uh, really went and some of our introduction was around kind of giving him a word that a very trusted voice in his life who was on our team had felt in prayer for him. And that the gist of that word was that the call was giving birth to the send that the call had gone out and a sending movement would result and it would be about stadiums being filled uh, signs and wonders, gospel proclamation, and it would be the passion, the zeal, the mantle of Billy Graham falling on an entire generation, and it would give birth to a sending movement. So that was seven years ago in his living room, and I think, honestly, at that time, none of us really knew exactly what to do with it. So we've spent the last seven years um, doing lots of stuff together. Uh, Lou has, you know, has this passionate heart message around ekbalo, this Greek word of sending laborers into the harvest field, this prayer in Matthew 9, 37 and 38, Lord, send forth laborers. And so he has passionately and faithfully declared that all over the world, where he's been traveling. And uh, kind of the next big moment in the timeline was Azusa Now, which was a phenomenal gathering. I, I truly believe historic in the Colosseum in Los Angeles where really the first half of the day was devoted to the mandates the call had been carrying in intercession, prayer and fasting, reconciliation. And then there was sort of a clear transition mark where it really turned towards gospel proclamation, uh, the message of sending to the nations, signs and wonders broke out in the stadium, uh, the gospel was preached, uh, Billy Graham even caught wind of the gathering and sent us a short message that we read in the stadium. And it was just, it was remarkable. It felt like the, the beginnings of that word truly coming to pass. And since that time, April of 2016, we have been in prayer about when is the time to fully launch the send. And uh, in February, we met in Orlando with a collaboration of leaders, Daniel Calendo with CFAN and Michael Koulianos with Jesus Image, Todd White with Lifestyle, Lou, Circuit Riders, YWAM. And we felt now was the time to launch this, and we began work and planning towards a February 2019 stadium gathering at the historic Citrus Bowl, which is now called the Camping World Stadium, on February 23rd, which is essentially a year from the passing of Billy Graham. 
And uh, we just have huge faith that we're not only on the verge of a real Jesus movement in America again, where every believer is mobilized and empowered to carry the gospel and the kingdom, but also on possibly one of the greatest missions, training, and sending movements that our nation has ever seen. And we believe we're on the cusp of it. We believe Warren's vision of another giant wave coming uh, is upon us. And uh, in brief, too, I know I've already said a lot, but the last major so mobilization. Keep <laughs> I'm just, I'm just so excited about all this. But the last major missions mobilization moment in America that was that was significant and nationwide was in 1982 when Keith Green and Lauren Cunningham planned a trip across America. They had planned a hundred cities to call the nation to missions, and after the first stop, um, Keith Green died in a in a plane crash. And uh, Lauren continued on with the tour using a video of the last time that Keith had led worship. And then he would come out and call the gathering, the stadium, the venue, the arena, wherever they were, to, to consider laying their lives down for the Great Commission and for the nations. And out of that, they estimated 100,000 people went into short-term and countless went into long-term because of that push across those 100 cities. And we just believe with all of our hearts, it is time for another major push. And our prayer is, God, give us 200,000 that would say yes to the missional calling. Give us countless hundreds of thousands that would say yes to reaching their neighbors, their high schools, their universities. And give us 200,000 who would say yes to the unreached, yes to the nations and the regions where there's very little gospel witness or gospel proclamation. So that's the send. And we are just so excited about what God has been saying, is saying, and what he's about to do. Man, that is... Uh... So, so, I, so that was a little bit before my time in 82, but I, as a young believer, caught wind of Keith Green and, and his sort of his radical lifestyle of, I'll give everything, I'll follow you yeah. anywhere. And when he captured hold of mission mobilization, and, and then that happened with his death, uh, I, I've, I actually have told this to, to Amy, and I, I had a chance to talk to Brian Brent, even though that recording got lost. Um, you know, this feels so much like there has never been a missions mobilization thrust in America since that time, just like you were saying. And it, it, it feels like the Lord is incredibly up to something in amazing ways. Wow. Yes. Come on. Yeah, so I mean, I, I just, uh, I, and, and what I love is the collaboration, right? This is not a one ministry uh, right. deal. Uh, you've got people that are, that are putting their heart towards a greater cause than their own sort of sphere of influence or sphere of growth. And that is amazing. Come on, yes, yes. Uh, we truly believe it's a new day of unity and collaboration in the body of Christ. And, and what we're believing for is just no way any organization or movement could, could do it alone. It is, it is all of us working together towards the Great Commission mandate. Mm, mm. So uh, that's so exciting. So, um, so let's, I want to talk a little bit about um, sort of uh, things that you've come to learn. So uh, how long have you been with Youth With a Mission? Uh, yeah, it's been, uh, this fall will be 20 years that my wife and I would have met in YWAM 
uh, in Maui. And so for the last 20 years, we've been rumbling with uh, Youth of the Mission. You've been you've been in there a long time, and I've had a tremendous amount of respect for Lauren Cunningham. I, I think he is a Billy Graham caliber follower of Jesus, uh, and and I've just you know watched him for so long, and and he's always had a very particular style and how he runs an organization. As I've yeah. as I you know again outsider looking in, just kind of seeing, uh, and I've led a lot of things and. Can you tell me from your perspective and walking with, with the, this community for 20 years, what are the things that you have picked up on through those times about, you know, leading well and, and, and being faithful in that role? Yeah, absolutely. I just I feel so encouraged, you know, and really feel so honored to have been able to glean from Lauren and Darlene and the founders and their leadership style and to, uh, you know, to really, it's kind of what I, all I've ever been immersed in. And, of course, I have the privilege of working with leaders all across the body of Christ and organizations all across the body of Christ, and I love them all, and I love all the models and structures that I've been able to see or be a part of. Um, but the uniqueness of kind of what Lauren and Darlene carry is, is, is wildly empowering. And I think for me, the privilege of that is, is honestly, there are not too many organizations in the world that would have given me a chance at 18 or 19 years old to lead anything. I wouldn't have given myself a chance to lead anything at 18 or 19 years old. And I came into YWAM with massive uh, insecurities, hesitations, fears. I came in, my greatest fear in all of life was public speaking. If you'd asked me if I could lead anything, I'd have said, no way. Um, hmm. I didn't see myself as a leader, but because of the culture and the leadership style within the mission, they, it was as if there was they saw something in me I didn't even see in myself. Hmm. And honestly, I felt I was probably given more opportunity than I deserved, almost you know dangerously at times. And yet, uh, each time I found myself you know rising to the occasion, and found you know there was all kinds of stuff getting unlocked in me I didn't even know was there. So the empowering culture that Lauren and Darlene set um, is the only reason I feel like I probably was ever able to get off the ground with anything on a personal leadership level with fire and fragrance with circuit riders is they just constantly are making space for the new even as YWAM is now 57, 58 years old they're still making room for new expressions new things, new leaders, young leaders that God wants to raise up, and I think that's one of the hallmark, one of the trademark um, attributes of Lauren and Darlene's leadership that has kept YWAM from becoming, uh, you know, just a monument to past testimonies and has maintained its, its movement edge. Yeah, that, that is a great way to put it, a monument to past testimonies, because at some point, those testimonies start getting old because they're not new ones. <laughs> So, yeah, absolutely. I, I, there's a lot of ministries. I mean, yeah, anyway, that, that being said, um, so what about permission? Because I've heard you kind of speak about this. What, can you speak to the importance of permission? Yes. Yeah, I love that word. And we've sought to, you know, really understand in the scriptures what would a culture of permission look like. And, you know, examining the life of Jesus it, it is often significantly different than maybe some of our, our models and it's he seemed to have 
he had so little fear, it seemed, in giving permission to those who were actually going to abuse that permission at times yeah. or misuse it or their immaturities were going to be exploited or they were going to you know, cause even real issues. And the way he gave permission to his disciples so early on in their own discipleship where they're still wrestling over whether he's even the Messiah and they're wrestling over who's the greatest and they have, they have major dysfunction in their team and in their lives. But it seems that Jesus saw that permission was a way of actually bringing growth, maturity, and ironing some of those things out. And I feel all too common we're waiting for people to arrive at a certain standard before we're willing to give them room to grow or give them permission to take risks. And the disciples seem to grow through that permission exponentially. And in three and a half years, they essentially go on to become some of the greatest leaders in history. Um, with an influence that is still literally rippling across the world. And yet, I don't think anyone would have said when he first picked them, and they, they, said, they would have said that they were unworthy, that these were not the 12 people that were going to change history. And yet Jesus, through his permission-giving leadership style, saw exponential growth in a short amount of time to the point where he was no longer with them and they were thriving, they were succeeding, they were fruitful. Everywhere they were going, the world was being turned upside down. And so there's something in Jesus' model of permission-giving leadership that I think is so worth fighting for, even though at times it's going to create messes, at times it's going to feel like it kind of kicked us a little bit, at times um, people are going to, you know, we're going to feel like our reputation might be at risk. And it seems that Jesus is willing to take all of those risks to empower those young leaders. Wow. So if you were speaking to someone that, because what you're talking about, that empowering kind of culture, people can talk about it in theory, but it's not real until you really have done it. Like you've got either a reputation or you've got something on the line and you actually hand off something that somebody could really screw up <laughs> back Potentially. Yeah. Uh, and, right. And, and so people talk about it. It sounds like, and I'm going to make a, probably an easy guess here, you have made these decisions. You have taken these risks. Am I, is that true? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. So if you were to speak to someone that's on the other side of it, like, wow, that sounds great, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I've got concerns. Can you do you have any stories or anything that's an example of you know here's something that happened and and this is the result? Yeah, you know the the stories are abundant. You know, right now we have uh, from our last fire and fragrance we sent out about 260 staff and students and they're scattered on every continent right now. Um, and they'll spend about 10 weeks just pouring their lives into the indigenous work, you know, into what God's already doing there, just joining it and serving it. And so many of our leaders that are leading those teams are 21, 22 years old. Um, you know, some of them have history. Some of them struggled through their own DTSs, uh, their own schools, and maybe barely made it through. Um, but because they, you know, the experiences they had and their responses to maybe their own shortcomings or failures or immaturities 
we watched over the last month as they grew exponentially to the point where we thought, my gosh, these guys are actually ready to lead a team of 10 or 12. And, and certainly, you know, we're not wanting to put people in premature leadership that's actually going to harm them long term or harm others long term. And that's a delicate balance. You know, Einstein said premature leadership breeds superficiality. So I think that the danger is less about mistakes and it's actually more about a leader becoming superficial and in the end uh, actually a little bit hypocritical. So we're not looking for perfection. We're more so looking for teachability and we're looking for hunger. We're looking for humility. And, and when that, when a leader has that, it feels like there's almost nothing they can't overcome if they have people walking with them. So we're always seeking to walk with our leaders. So back to your questions, I just have, I have just an abundance of testimonies, names, and faces running through my mind that probably would not have made the cut in a typical, um, you know, a hierarchical organization, yeah. but because of our permission-giving culture and because of their response to failure was one of humility, teachability, and hunger, um, we have just watched so many people break through things and grow past areas that maybe they never would have grown past had they not been walked with in the midst of their struggle or their failure that are now some of the greatest leaders I know. And some of those guys now are 10 years in another country you know, or I should say more like five or six, speaking another language and leading, you know, a staff team of 40 or 50 people and watching indigenous movements spring up. And they probably wouldn't have been on the A-team. They probably wouldn't have made the first, you know, pick. But they're thriving and they're phenomenal leaders. They just needed to be believed in. Wow. You know, it's so funny. I find that what you're describing is rare. It is not abundant. I have not seen a lot of that abundance of sort of permission giving and, and patience, right? You know, because what you're yeah. talking about is, okay, yeah, there are missteps. A lot of times I've seen where there's been missteps and it's like, okay, like either you go to the woodshed or go into exile or <laughs> go somewhere, but it's, you're gone. You're kind of like, you're cut. You're cut from the team, if you will. And yeah, Absolutely. And I and that that is that's and it sounds like the fruit of what you're talking about has been so convincing. You guys keep doing it. Absolutely, I I don't think I could do it any other way. And you know I think Peter in the scriptures is such a phenomenal example. Here's a guy who Jesus you know really gives permission after a major failure, and he essentially calls him back into his calling and destiny to you know, to love and feed the sheep of, of Jesus' flock, you know, to lead again. And there you have him, you know, immediately after Pentecost, he's the one who stands up and begins to preach. And I just wonder if Peter would have given, been given a second chance in many of our current models and structures. Mm-hmm. You know, there is a, there was, I, I listened to a teaching recently, it was an older teaching by Lauren Cunningham about called, being called into ministry, and he talked a lot about character in the importance of your character being able to match your calling. And that is, you know, that's not an overnight thing. You don't get the zap of God and have an incredible character overnight. <laughs> that's something you tend to yeah. walk through in relationships. Um, and it sounds like you guys, uh, do you guys, how, how does that relationship look? Like, what does that look like practically, you know, um, to help people kind of really gain ground in their own character yeah. shortcomings. 
Big time, big time. And I, I definitely don't want to overstate that we, you know, to the point where it feels like we're looking past glaring character issues. Um, I would say that, you know, we have a huge value for the power of the Holy Spirit, for what you might call the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, um, but not at the expense of the, of the fruit of the Spirit, nor of the character of Jesus. And I don't I don't claim we don't claim to be the best at this or gurus at it. But what I would say is that where we have experienced success, it has been in helping ground people in a massive love for the Word and a massive love for the Holy Spirit. Hmm. And if if you can get a young generation in love with the Word, then that, that is their grounding for lifelong character growth and development and mm. we just think there is a generation that's going to get addicted to the word again where the word becomes a source of life and it's not just words on a page but it's a ever-present ever-living author who is the only author in all of history who wrote a book who will never die and to have that author continually uh, explaining and transforming and bringing revelation from the word we, as we see young people get really lit up on the Word, it's amazing how fast character begins to grow in alignment with that, but never at the expense of also not growing in zeal and passion for the Holy Spirit. So we see the two as one, and of course many do. And I think that when a young person, 18, 17, 19, you know, whatever they may be, when they begin to grow in longing, hunger, and desire for the Word, fellowship with Jesus, um, authentic community and the power of the Holy Spirit, then it feels like character and anointing and vision, they all grow simultaneously. And I think that's, you know, if I, if I could point to anything, it would be that. It would be the, the community that people are surrounded in, deep dive and a love for the scriptures and a love for fellowship with Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm. Mm. You know, that, that is so good because uh, it really does point to the author and the finisher of their faith. It, it points yeah. right at Jesus saying, I am the one that will build my church. I will build the character in, my, in those that I've called through my word, by my spirit, and through my people. Yes. And, 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 yes. and it seems like we want to replace that with some other way. There's another right. way. <laughs> and it's like, uh, probably not. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There's not a new way to doing that. Yeah. Well, look, Andy, um, I think that's what I wanted to cover. Um, it has been uh, really fun talking to you. And and I just want to say well done and, and just doing the hard work as a leader to, to let people have the room to grow and to start to experience success in following Jesus. Um, it's just more people need a little bit of space to have that, have that under their belt saying, yeah, I, I did on. it. And, and it worked out. <laughs> it's like, <Yes>. wow. <laughs> yes. So, well, thank you so much for your time, Andy. Anything else you want to leave with uh, on this topic or the other? No, I'm so grateful for what you're doing and so grateful for, you know, what Jesus is doing in a young generation. I just, you know, to anyone listening right now, I, 
I guess I'd end with this. Is I'm guessing a, a handful of those listening are probably you know millennials and uh, probably some Gen Zs. And I think that there's been so much spoken about millennials that it's just simply not true. And I personally believe that millennials could go down in history as one of the most dynamic, fruit-bearing generations in history. Mm. And I personally believe mm, it's going to become one of the most adoptive generations in history. And by adoptive, I just mean adopting the needs, the brokenness, the unreached, the unevangelized, that truly adoptive heart, I think, is at the core of who millennials are. I believe it's going to be core of who Gen Z is. And uh, I just want to say to those who are listening that, uh, that part of the permission-giving culture is knowing you're believed in by God and knowing that there's a generational responsibility that we carry to believe that we're believed in by God and then therefore to walk in the responsibility um, that we are championed by the Father mm. and to, to respond out of that by taking responsibility for our generation because we are empowered, we have been given permission, and we are believed in. And so, yeah, just grateful for this time and grateful for what God's doing. Mm. That's, a, that's a great way to end. Thank you so much, Andy. Absolutely. Thank you for your time. If you've been encouraged and inspired by the show and you would like to know what else we've got going on, go to thekindlingfire.com. There you can join the Firestarters, which is a Facebook Messenger community I let know first anytime I do anything. You can also get a book there called You Can Certainly Do It that I've written to really encourage you to take your first steps to really start the small fire that God's starting in your life. Uh, In addition to that, you can sign up for the seven-day Bible devotional, Become a Sign and Wonder. And as always, be awesome.